Hi everyone, this is Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Everything is Football. Don't go away. Hello everyone, welcome to another Everything is Football podcast. I'm Nick Hawkins. I'm joined by Joaquin Del Mar and our guest today, Tom Marshall. Tom Marshall is an ESPN FC Mexican football specialist based out of Guadalajara, and he covers Liga MX, the Mexican national team, etc. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. No, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on. It's uh, always good to to talk football. Absolutely. So you were born and raised in England, Tom, and you graduated from university in Toronto. So how did you become <laughs> a football reporter for Mexican football based in Guadalajara? Was was that kind of always your your interest? Were you always interested in Central American, South American football, or did you ever cover you know like Premier League, MLS? Did you ever want to? pursue a career um outside of of the americas no well like um obviously you know grow up and i think most people from near manchester so we're all pretty football mad just just it's just ingrained in in the culture i think um and so when i originally went to study i I studied latin american studies in toronto um and so then after after i graduated um, you know, I was obviously looking for work and stuff, and I really wanted to to live in Latin America and you know obviously follow up on on my studies. Um, and there was a there's actually a, a a newspaper in Guadalajara um, called the Guadalajara Reporter, which was actually in English. Um, there's quite a big kind of an American Canadian community uh, near Lake Chapala. Um, it's about an hour away from Guadalajara. And so that the newspaper was focused at, at that kind of audience. So I just wrote to as many people as I could in Latin America, trying to get some experience in journalism. Um, and then luckily, this newspaper kind of, you know, it said, you know, we'll pay you very little. Basically, your, <laughs> you know, your basic costs, you, you won't be able to make any money. You'll just be, you know, living day to day and stuff. But, you know, you can come down and, and you know, obviously try it out. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so I just headed off to Atlanta. With uh, with not much really, and then yeah, and then after a bit, um, I just started my own blog on Mexican football. Um, I just did it myself. I wasn't making any money. I didn't have any, honestly, didn't have any big plans or anything. I just thought, you know, I'm here. There's you know two big teams in Guadalajara, Chivas, obviously, the massive one, and then Atlas as well. So, you know, I was going to games, and I thought I might as well, you know, write about this. It seems like nobody's really writing about it, and then. I don't know. I was surprised when people, you know, came to me and said, "Oh, you want, do you want to write for us? You can, you know, we'll pay you this much." And I was like, you know, it didn't honestly. Maybe I was a bit naive, but it never occurred to me before that <laughs> that people would be interested. You know. Yeah, and we see now. Obviously, you you write very frequently for, you know, ESPN, ESPN FC. One of your articles that caught my eye recently was the Liga MX wish list. And one thing that I was interested in, and also some people on Twitter were asking us about this, is the Players Union, which is being headed by Rafa Marquez, I believe. Could you maybe just elaborate on how that is developing, what the impacts would be if it came to fruition? Yeah, I mean, Mexico, the way that football's kind of set up is, I don't know, it's a bit different than in other places. Uh, the owners have, have a lot of power, a lot of influence, and so... You know, basically, there's things that go on in Mexico that that aren't really within FIFA rules, but it's just the way that it is and the way that, 
that it's always really been. So you got things like uh, the you know the Pacto de Caballeros, the the gentlemen's um, pact between the owners, where they dictate basically the rules of the game or the rule. You know, obviously not on the field but off the field. Um, so you got stuff like um, you know you got stuff like the contracts. So basically anybody, any player, in most places in the world, definitely in in Europe, um, when your contract runs out then obviously you're free then to kind of leave your team and, and sign for another one. Uh, whereas in Mexico, if your contract runs out, the the, the owners the, the agreement between owners dictates that if another club comes in for you domestically, then they would have to also pay a fee to the club that you used to belong to. There's stuff like that and the you know the transfer draft, which happens twice a year, often you know the, the owners get together, um, you know, they thrash out deals and often the players don't even have any say on, on where they're going and, and you know basically they're told right you're going there which you know it doesn't seem very fair so you know obviously Rafa Marquez is a figure who kind of he's got nothing to lose he said that the other day as well he said you know I, I'm very comfortable I mean he's played for Barcelona I'm sure he's got you know many millions in the bank from 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 his playing career so he's really not fighting this cause for for himself but you know for the next generation and I think event you know for the for the good of the Mexican game moving forward but I can see it being quite I think it's going to be a real battle between the owners and, and the players. Um, you know, I think it's something that's going to go on for, for quite a long time. There's going to be a lot of friction there and a lot of kind of battles for over, over certain issues. Yeah, absolutely. I know that we'll be following that very closely as it unfolds and as it develops. Um, the other major thing that's happened recently in Liga MX was, of course, the Tigres versus America, the Guia final which was a crazy game. Um, I'm sure you watched it. Were you there? I wasn't, no, because they changed the date of the game. Yeah. And, um, originally, the final was going to be on, the I think, the 11th. And then um, I was coming back for for basically for Christmas to England. And then what happened was, obviously, the fi- the date of the final changed to the Christmas day. So I was like, right. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a bit stuck. Yeah, and... That's unfortunate because it was a, a ridiculous game. There's drama, late goals, red cards galore. What was your What was your take on it? Did it was it a good representation of Liga MX and Mexican football? Was you know what did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was a, a strange kind of game. I mean, I think Mexican football in general is quite attack orientated. I think you know teams like to have the ball. They like to pressurize the other team. I think that. Um, you know, there's a, there's a the high average goals per game in the Mexican league, um, and you know, and there's a lot of craziness that goes on, um, and I think that you know, in in a way, it was a fair representation. But I also thought that the kind of um, definitely the first leg, I thought it was very stalemate. I thought I thought both teams were kind of I don't know a bit reticent to to go on the attack, which I thought was not necessarily what you expect from Mexico. But then obviously the second half of that second leg. It kind of everything just kind of sparked into life, and then you know I think that the, there was a lot of pressure on the teams as well. I mean I think we have to factor that in. Um, you know Club America was celebrating the centennial, and they were just so desperate to get a title. Then on the other hand, you had Tigres who have thrown a lot of money into this project under Tuca Ferretti. Um, you know buying players like Andre Piergignac, you know Javier Aquino, bringing him back from Europe. Um, you know Jurgen Dam was a massive signing. Ismael Sosa as well. So, you know, there was pressure on Tigres as well. And I think that kind of, when it got to the crunch those last few minutes, I think everything kind of boiled up. But uh, yeah, it was 
it was exciting at the end of the day. That's what you want. You want an exciting game. The thing we saw in ML, in the MLS final, it was so dull. And I mean, you know, MLS is obviously a league that's trying to, you know, attract new fans. I think it's nice, you know, well established now. It's got its hardcore fan base. But I think when you when you look at those those the games that are finals, you want to kind of attract new fans. And I think, you know, for a neutral or somebody who doesn't know anything about Mexico, you look at that final game. You look at the atmosphere. You look at, you know, just the the controversy going on and. And and I think you'd probably be like, you know, I want to watch a bit more of this. Yeah. Uh, so um, we we wanted to transition slightly to to talk about the direction of the Liga MX and how it can improve in the future, and and how we should be comparing the league. So our first question in um, in that respect is, uh, what do you see as the current relative strength of domestic leagues in Concacaf? So uh, Mexico, obviously, first. But then uh, which other leagues do you think are developing um, to compete with Mexico? And um, what other countries are falling behind and could, um, and could look as, at the Mexican model as a way of developing? Yeah, I mean, so it's a good question. It's a difficult one, though, as well. I mean, obviously, obviously, you've got Mexico and MLS. I think MLS is the one. I think if you spoke to most people in the Mexican game and, and you know, who, who work in the game in North America and you said, which which league out of Liga MX or MLS will be bigger in five years? I think they'd probably they'd have difficult an- answering it. But if you asked them in 20 years, which is going to be bigger, MLS or Liga MX? I think most would say um, MLS. I mean, I think a vast majority would, would say MLS has got the platform in place. It's got the vision. It knows where it wants to be. And it's going to put in place those steps together um i know it's not there's there's criticism as well but i think what the league mx lacks is that is that kind of vision that that we want to be one of the best best leagues in the world and this is how we're going to go about it i mean i just don't think that's that uh, basic planning um aside in terms of the other leagues in concacaf i mean obviously costa rica's always decent and costa rica have been producing some really good players of late i think panama's the real dark horse i mean you know, it's it's pretty incredible the um, what the national team's done over the last few years, and you know, you look at the some of the results in the Concacaf Champions League against uh, Tigres and Monterrey, um, and and some of the Panamanian teams have done extremely well. Um, so so Panama is a country that I think is is starting to produce some some really good players. No doubt, there's a big Colombian influence there as well. Obviously, um, it's 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 right right there near near Colombia. So yeah, and then I think the the ones that fall in behind, I'd say El Salvador. Is is struggling, um, and I think you see that in the international stage as well. Where it used to be in the hexagonals, it used to be, you know, even pushing for World Cup places, and now it's just it just simply isn't. Um, and you know, Honduras as well. Um, I think obviously with the with the problems in Central America as well, in terms of the violence and stuff, it's obviously it becomes more difficult to attract players. Um, and I think that potentially could affect Mexico as well. Um, you know, you look at what's going on. Recently, with you know, there's some clashes with the government. There's protests. Obviously, you got the narco violence, and you know, I'm sure it does put off a few players. And the other thing is, is what's going on with Trump, um, and and the way it's not just necessarily him, but the way you know, since he's coming to off, well, not even coming to office, since he's been since he won the election, the price of the peso. And I think if you look at the the price of the peso, it makes it more difficult now for the Mexican clubs. You know, to go into different markets um, to buy players because the the peso is a lot weaker than it than it was even you know six months ago. Mm-hmm. Definitely good points. Um, another question, I, like this is 
somewhat of a personal question because I'm from Argentina and we're a country of about less than 50 million people. So I look at Mexico, which is a country of over 120 million people, and I'm, and I'm, I'm dumbfounded because, you know, Mexico should, in my opinion, should be every single year that it goes to a World Cup a strong contender uh, due to its hierarchy and due to its level and, and its name and its reputation of loving football. So why isn't it, like, do you think that this is an issue that the, the Liga MX as a whole is not producing enough talent? Or do you think that there's inherently a flaw in the way that the youth system is working in Mexico that they can't produce those elite world-class talents? What are your thoughts on the subject? No, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question again. I'd, I'd go to, I'd say that if you look at the history of Argentine football, it's got, I think it's got a lot more history than Mexican football. I mean, I know people like to say, oh, you know, um, the first games in Mexico were played at the, you know, the late 19th century, <laughs> you know, but really <clears throat> Mexican football only really got going when Mexico get, got given the 1970 World Cup. Before that, if you look at what Mexico had achieved, and it, it wasn't it wasn't very professional, it wasn't very organized. Whereas you look at someone like Argentina, they were already you know very strong. Like look at Uruguay, the first World Cups. I know it's not the same, obviously, but you know you get that that influence. But you know there's, there's a theory in a book called um, Why England Lose, and it's about you know if you look at the countries that have won the World Cups, they've actually only come from two geographical areas of the world, and one's um, you know, that, that, that South American um, core, obviously Brazil, Uruguay, and, uh, and Argentina, and the other one's Western Europe. Um, and it's like, apart from outside of that, and, and the reason for that's the, the influences that, that those countries had. So you had Argentina getting the influence from Brazil, getting the influence from Uruguay, and, and playing regularly against top-top opposition, whereas you see how the game developed in Mexico, and it was quite isolated. Um, and I don't, I just don't think they've got that. Uh, the I think it's partly cultural as well. I mean, the Argentine football in in Argentine culture, in in English culture, for example, it's just so it, it kind of pervades everything. And I think in Mexico, it's still not at that level. I mean, you see Argentine coaches go to Mexico, and they're still kind of revolutionizing revolutionizing things. And I think you know, Mexico, it's something that that they still have to after after work on. I think, and uh, you know, obviously look to other countries. Which they have done, to be fair, but look to other countries to kind of uh, to get that step up. But I think that's the big thing with Mexico, and I think that a lot of people think it's a sleeping giant. I mean, if 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 it can, if the if the right people are put in charge and the right decisions made, then you know you're right. Mexico should be, you know, a, a major challenger for the for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. That and makes I, sense. Yeah, of course, of course. So I mean, I mean, I mean, look at today, like look at the Argentine coaches you've got out there. I mean, you look at the Premier League, you look at, you know, Pochettino, probably the brightest young coach around. You know, you look at the Spanish League, Simeone, you've got um, San Paoli in, in Sevilla. You know what I mean? It's like, it's in, it, the Argentine culture, the way they produce these top, top quality football people, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I find it incredible how how, um, how much influence Argentina has had on, on on the world game, not just in terms of players, but in terms of, you know, ideology and ideas and, you know, Menotti and uh, Bilardo and stuff like that. Yeah. When I, when I go back, it feels like everyone's heralding to a religion. It's what it feels like. It, it, you live and breathe every single game that's on TV. And it's, it's honestly incredible how, how people react to it. It, It's something that 
I, I've never seen other than when I go back to see my family in Argentina. Yeah, and, and I mean, you just listen to the commentators and, you know, in Argentina or, or Spain or something, and the level of, you know, the, you know or, or read the press, and it's like they write stories about um, who could replace the left back and, you know, should should the coach play with the number 10 or two strikers? And they'll do in-detailed stories in daily newspapers about those kind of issues, whereas Mexico, I think, still the press is focused around kind of story-based kind of, you know, telenovela-esque kind of things, whereas, you know, I think, I don't know. I mean, I just think that the level in Argentina is is higher, not just in terms of on the field, in terms of producing players, but the management, the, the culture, the conversation surrounding the game and and um, and the press as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, another question in terms of seeing where the Liga MX could could go towards in the future. I've always thought that a good move for them in terms of development would be to fully integrate South American countries and North American countries together. Um, so I've always thought that integrating them fully, both the MLS and Liga MX into Copa Libertadores and Copa Sudamericana, would be not only beneficial for North American teams, but also for South American teams. Do you think that this sort of format like they do in the Champions League and Europa League would be beneficial? And do you think that it would, do you think it would as we were talking about, um, spark that interest that, or like that, that last step that Mexico would need to fully spark interest in their league to see them competing against the giants like Boca Juniors, River, et cetera, on a, on a weekly basis? Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously Mexico won in a couple of Libertadores this year, but, yeah. um, you know, they, they have been, I think, what, for the last, was it 20 years or something? Yeah, uh, something Mexico like that. But, I mean, I, think, I, think, I honestly think that the Mexican teams now, with the money that's around, and we see in Argentina there isn't that much money, we see in mm-hmm. other South American countries that they're struggling. I honestly feel that the Mexican teams are, are, close, are very close now to the top um, South American sides. And, you know, we saw a couple of years ago Tigres get to the, to the final of the Libertadores and, you know, River Plate, I think, fairly won the game. But, you know, Tigres have become a real powerhouse. And I think that's the, that's the, that, that's where Mexican football has to aim, producing teams like Tigres, which, are, you know, absolute, the quality, I think they could fit in, you know, to La Liga quite easily. You know, I think they do have that quality. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, for me, I think it's a disaster that the Mexican teams especially aren't in the couple of Libertadores. I think a lot of the times um, the, the Mexican sides kind of wasted the opportunity because they were getting invited to the to the competition. I mean, this historic Copa Libertadores competition. And then they were playing a second string team and stuff and, and prioritising the league. And it just, obviously the, the, the travelling makes it really difficult and stuff, but it's like, it's kind of disrespecting the competition. And I think you're missing an opp- they were missing an opportunity to really, you know, go at the, go at, a competition that is highly prestigious. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the Mexican clubs back um, starting 2018. Let's hope they can strike a deal. And, you know, the thing with the with MLS clubs is that it's just the, the basic, the travel, the distance. I think um, I think that people in charge are, are really wary of, of setting something up in case it kind of blows up in the face because because of the distances and it destroys the domestic leagues. So, I mean, I'd like to see as much, uh, I mean, as much um, cooperation between CONCACAF and CONMEBOL as possible because, I don't know, I, like, like you said, I completely agree. I think the South American um, 
confederation is desperate for basically money. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think we saw that from the Copa America last year when it was held in the States. I mean, I'm sure they got the bill at the end or they, they received the money at the end and they're like, you know, my Lord, look how much money we've made compared to what compared to in Chile the year before. I mean, just mm-hmm. by playing it in the States. So I think there's a, there's potential for, for further, um, you know, strengthening and working together. And hopefully, you know, in, in the future, I'd love to see a, a fully continental competition. It's just working out how, how it would look. We have a question from Alonso Hinnit on Twitter, and you guys kind of touched on the senior team with, uh, with Mexico and how they are not necessarily dominating the world stage due to a lack of football culture, maybe compared to other South American teams. But what Alonso wants to know is, Mexico is a powerhouse at the youth level. So what's stopping that from reaching the senior team? Yeah, it's, an, it's, another, it's another good question. I think that you know, Mexico put a lot of money into the, to the youth system. I think it was 2008 where every league of MX team had to also send the under-20 and an under-17 team. And the under-20 and under-17 team play, you know, they play the same fixtures. They travel um, with the first team. And, uh, and obviously... I don't know, it's just great for the development of, of the player because they get used to being a professional. And I think we've seen a lot of investment from the Mexican Federation in the in the youth teams as well. Um, I'd say that, you know, firstly, I think the, the success at youth level might maybe is a little bit exaggerated um, compared to where they're actually at. I say that because, you know, the Liga MX clubs are, are a lot more liberal in terms of letting the players go to the national team. So when you look at uh, under seventeen Mexican team, you pretty much always guaranteed those are the best players that the country has. Whereas if you go, you know, even Argentina, it'll be difficult to you know get players from different places or or a European. They, some clubs won't let them go and stuff. So I think that I think the, the, the and they train a lot, they get together a lot more than the most of the nations. But in terms of not making it to the top, I think that you know. Um, there's not enough opportunities in the Liga MX. I mean, we're seeing teams now, especially the top teams. Um, I mean, look at the final. If you look at the Liga MX final last time, how many Mexican players under the age of 25 were involved? And it's it's scary. I think Jurgen Dam was maybe the only one um, yeah. off the top of my no, and and Edson Alvarez. So you know, you've got two that I can think of at the top of my head, and two out of what of, of 22 players, young Mexicans. That's not. It's just not good enough. I just I just don't think with the I just don't think the Mexican players are getting enough chance in the Mexican league. And the second thing is, it's a lot more difficult for a Mexican player to to go to Europe. Um, you know, it's the, the the wages are good in Mexico, so there's less pressure to go over to Europe. Um, and, you know, they can make a comfortable living staying where they are. So, But I think that's a big factor because I think if you go outside your comfort zone, if you try to test yourself at a different level, you learn new things, you grow as a player, you grow as a person. Um, and I think that, you know, Mexico have, has suffered because they haven't traditionally had too many players. I mean, you compare um, how many Europe-based players Argentina has um, right now and how many Mexico has. And then you look in the Argentine first division and you look how many um, how many Argentine players are playing week in, week out and how many Mexican players are playing week out in first division football. And you look at then, then you look at it, and you think, well, Argent, uh, the Argentine, the Argentine coach, whoever he may be, has got a, a you know a much deeper pool of players and talent to pick from, you know, to craft a style, to craft. But I think that's a that's a, that's a big problem for 
for the Mexican game. Those players have failed to make the jump up. Just another thing quickly, I know I'm rambling on, but um, I think sometimes when the Mexican players have had success at youth level, it almost seems to have gone to their heads. They think they've made it. You know, they get contracts. You can sometimes, you know, I go to some training sessions, obviously, and, and you know, you see them come out in, like, sports cars and stuff, and you think, you, you've won a youth competition. It's like, yeah. you know, that, that, that shouldn't be the aim. It feels like some of these players think they've already made it because, you know, people might spot them in the street or when they're out and about. And it's, you know, really, it's only a first step. Is the MLS an option for these young, promising Mexican players? You said that it's tough for them in Liga MX, but also tough to make the jump to European football. Is the MLS a good place for them to develop? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see in in coming years. Um, I mean, even shorter term than that, you know, even even during 2017, if if uh, MLS clubs aren't aren't taking a look, I mean, just just you just look at the numbers. I mean, every Mexican club, like I was just saying then, has an under-20 squad. So every year, what say they're producing 15 to 18, you know, let's say 15 players, and 18 teams are producing 15 players every year, then how many of them are going to get a chance in that team's first team? And it's it's minimal. You know, as a percentage, it's minimal. And that's even for players already at U20 level. So you th- you have to think that MLS, if they're smart about it, can be scouting these players, can be looking at which ones are coming through and then which ones, you know, aren't getting the opportunities and bring them in. Um, I mean, I, I can see it definitely happening. I know that MLS, um, John Garber is, you know, he's adamant that he'd like to have more Mexican players in uh, MLS. Obviously, you know, you put them, you put, you know, Mexican players in certain markets where, you know, there are a lot of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. And I think that, you know, it is a, it is an, a, it's a, it's a pull. It's a pull factor for the fans as well to come to the stadium. You know, obviously Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Texas, the big cities in Texas. I mean, I think that it's something MLS will will look to do. And if they're smart about it, then um, then they'll already be scouting now um, young under twenties talent in Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. And especially since, as you said, the MLS is you know kind of constantly growing. It'll be interesting to see how the relationship between Liga MX and MLS and Mexican players and American players continues to develop. And one criticism that the MLS has received in recent years is the that teams kind of just buy, you know, old players who have had success in Europe but are now, you know, not really able to play at that level anymore. And then they come to the MLS and are able to perform at a higher level. And a similar situation to that is Andre Pierre Gignac for Tigres, and do do you think that signings like that are something that Liga MX teams should continue to look into, or does it air too close to, you know, the MLS being called a retirement league for old players, or the Chinese Super League splashing out ridiculous sums of money to bring in these well-known players? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you want your league to be respected um, more than anything. I think that. I think that I think Gignac was a great signing. I mean, you know, I think he was twenty nine thirty when he signed. I think he's just he's thirty one now. So you know, I wouldn't say he's kind of past it. I mean, he was called up to the France squad for for the Europe for the Euro for the Euro Cup uh, last summer. So I think he's been a great signing. You've seen his quality. He also he also puts into contrast the quality of the Liga MX when Gignac can come and instantly score so many goals. It's like yeah, there is a difference in the leagues as well. But yeah, I think that the the other the other side of the coin is uh, so 
is Ronaldinho when he came to Caretaro. I mean, I just don't think that worked out. Obviously, it got him a lot of press. It was interesting. It was a storyline. But in terms of quality, it was a bit of a gimmick. He was, a, you know, he didn't really do much on the field apart from a few, you know, showboating moves and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you, you have to really analyse exactly what what the player is going to bring to you. I mean, you know, I mean, let's look at look at Ibrahimovic at Manchester United this season. I mean, you know, people wrote him off and said, oh yeah, he's going to go to MLS and if he had gone to MLS, everybody would have said, oh, Ibrahimovic has passed it. Uh, you know, he's got nothing to give in Europe now. So, you know, he's coming to, to the States so he can, you know, relax, chill out, have a bit of a holiday. And then, you know, you know, it's not the case. He's still got a lot to give and he's showing that, obviously, at Old Trafford. Uh, so I guess now um, we'd love to hear your opinion on a couple of short questions just to see what you're thinking about this kind of stuff. Um I I love to follow La Liga, and when Paco Gemes was in La Liga, his uh, Rayo Vallecano team, they, they were a beautiful team to watch, you know, beautiful attacking football, passing-oriented, possession-oriented, and as you said earlier on, the Mexican League does have that sort of flair and attacking willingness to it. Um, do you think that, like, he, he got a lot of criticism, obviously, in Spain for his team's not being able to defend well. So what what do you think so far um, of his work at Cruz Azul? Do you think that's a good fit for him? And do you think that's uh, a way that Cruz Azul is going to grow and prosper? And do you think that's a good move for his career? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for Cruz Azul, it's, it's a great um, hiring. I mean, I think that, you know, they've, they've, it's almost, you know, um, they've got this... They've not won a title, I think, since what '96 now. So there's this kind of, you know, it's just it's all negative. Everything surrounding Cruz Azul seems to be just always negative. Um, and I think Paco Gemes has come in, and obviously, you know, he's kind of sparked him into life. And he said, you know what? We obviously he's going to keep to his attacking style. You see, he's going to come in. He's going. I think he's going to make him attractive to see. And I honestly think he's going to be really successful. I think that, you know, if you look in La Liga, um. Obviously, there's teams that know how to defend. I mean, obviously, Simeone's Atletico Madrid plays the 4-4-2, just restricts the space so much between all the lines. And I think that in Mexico, there's not many teams that do that. So I think Paco Jemez is going to... I think he's going to be successful. I think he's going to produce a really exciting team. And I just don't... I don't. There's not many counter-attacking teams in Mexico that sit back and try and hit you on the counter. So I, I think his style is going to fit in really well here. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if... Um, you know, yeah, if he's successful, I mean, I think it's a it's a great signing for the Mexican league. So bringing somebody in with, you know, obviously experience in in La Liga, um, it, it can only be a good thing. Another short question here, Tom: Who are your favorite Americans that are playing in Liga MX? Ah, uh, favorite Americans. Um, I mean, I've, I've followed them for a number of years, so it's difficult to say favorites. But I mean, obviously, Omar Gonzalez has done exceptionally well. Um, you know, Pachuca, William Yarbrough, um, always a nice guy to speak to. I think I like his style as a goalkeeper. Um, it's interesting to see the mix of American and Mexican style that he, he almost brings to the table. Um, and then, obviously, you know, you've got the likes of Michael Orozco, who I think you know, underrated. I know he gets heavily criticised by, you know, a lot of uh, US supporters. But at the end of the day, you know, same with Edgar Castillo. I think those two, at the end of the day, they've left home as kids 
they've left the states. They've come down to Mexico with with barely anything, and you know they've they've made real careers in the Mexican league. You know Castillo has won a couple of titles. Orozco, um, you know, is established now at Club Tijuana, and I don't know. I mean, I think that you have to respect the careers that that people like that have had. I mean, I know they're not the biggest names in in US soccer, but you know it's not easy to come down to a different country and and kind of you know start your career off and then get respected and and still be playing after over ten years. Um, so our, our last little small question, uh, there's been a lot of buzz about it. Uh, it gets, it gets me tingling to know that this could be a possibility thoughts on a Mexico U S joint hosted world cup. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, why not? It goes back to this, you know, it just, I think it makes sense. I think Mexico have probably got, I don't want to offend anyone, but I think they've got, <laughs> Mexico have got three cities that I think could, could host a world cup. I think when you when if you expand it beyond that, yeah, you know you can make your cases, but really Monterrey, Guadalajara, and Mexico City, they're the big three, um, and I think they, they they've hosted World Cups before. I mean, possibly the best two ever World Cups took place in Mexico, um, so I think Mexico is in a prime position to to host another one. And then obviously the States, when it brings you organization, it brings you you know what you're going to get, um, and it brings you you know, the sponsorship and, and the financial side. So, yeah, I'd, I think it'd be brilliant. I think it'd be brilliant <clears throat> for both countries, but CONCACAF as a whole as well. Um, and, yeah, hopefully hopefully they can uh, it can come together. Yeah, I wasn't alive to see the uh, 1986 World Cup, for, but from what my dad told me, seeing Maradona's magic in Mexico was uh, simply special. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, it's uh, no. I mean, it was one of yeah, like you said, you know, eighty six, you had Maradona, and then in seventy, you had you had Pele. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was two of the most iconic World Cups in the iconic Estadio Azteca. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's I think we've seen the last few World Cups. I'm not saying they've been really bad or anything, but have we had those absolutely iconic moments that that the Mexican World Cups have provided? You know, it's it's. I'd, I'd argue perhaps not. <laughs> yeah, so um to round out our interview just to close close it out. Um two we have two questions from Twitter. Uh so Pablo Santoyo wanted to ask you um what you think the MLS has to do to get to the next level and be respected as so. Yes, I mean, I think it's on on the right path. Um I think it's I mean it's difficult because I think in as 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 a league in terms of the standard, I think you have to respect it. Now, that's not saying it's one of the the very best leagues in the world, but I think it, more than anything, it just has to keep going and keep keep um, doing what it's doing. And I think more than anything, what I'd like to see with MLS is producing more players, um, especially you know American players. I think that 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 for me would would show that MLS is extremely healthy. I mean, I know that I know we have seen players come through, but on a greater level, you know, really invest in the youth system and, and, you know, see teams almost a bit like FC Dallas, where we've seen the last couple of seasons, you know, the manager there really trust his youth and, and trust, trust, um, you know, younger players. And I think that, you know, that's what I'd like to see. And obviously less reliance on the, on the big name signings. Um, yeah. And, and keep going as they are, obviously expand different markets. And, you know, obviously I, I'm someone who I'd love to see relegation, promotion and relegation and stuff, but it's also understandable why these big money owners 
wouldn't want to invest as much or might not want to invest as much in the league that they could lose all the money overnight. So it's um, yeah, I'd, I'd go with more than anything, you know, producing a real batch of young players. And our final question is from Ian Allers on Twitter. Who is the young? Who is the best young Mexican player to watch for in 2017? 2017, I'd say, um, let me have a think. I'd say, let's go with um, Cesar Montes from Monterrey. He's a centre-back. I think he's still 19 years old. Um, You know, he's already playing for one of Mexico's biggest teams. The average crowd in Monterrey is like 50,000 each week. You know, he's he's not there. He's he's there because he's good enough. You know, he he is he's his quality is good on the ball, in terms of his vision of passing. He's comfortable in possession, but he can also defend. And I think the other thing is, which not a lot of Mexican players have, is 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 physically imposing. And I think he can still fill out a bit more, but you know, he's he's really tall. Um, and and if you look at the modern game and what you look at for a centre back, it's almost that balance between you have to know how to defend, but also I think a lot of you know. I think in the modern game, what what managers are looking for now are players that can also play out from the back, are comfortable with the ball. And I think Cesar Montes combines those those two uh, factors, and you know that's why I'd say it's a, it's a big year for him. And I'm I'm sure that the um, I'm sure that European clubs will be will be watching on. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Absolutely, and we'll certainly be watching for him in this new year. And if he does say success, let's hope that he can keep his head on straight and, as you said, (laughs) not get too carried away. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Tom, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. No, thanks uh, very much for the invite, and, yeah, good luck with the podcast and everything moving forward. Thank you. We are EIF Soccer. You can find us at www.eifsoccer.com. You can find us on Facebook at Everything is Football and on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram at EIF Soccer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. And your shoes ain't off the shelves. You straight out of magazine. Feel things I ain't ever felt.